History happened everywhere. The verdict. This is our after show podcast where we look back at the most recent episode, Blue, in Yemen during 700 to 800 CE. So if you haven't listened to that, go back, check it out, or else you will encounter spoilers ahead. I did listen to the episode, but I listened to it quite a while ago. I was, I, I was sent it very early. Hello, I'm Pete Goddard. I'm here in the very hot studio with the blue fish to my severed finger, the marvellous Ryan Weir. (laughs) And we are, of course, joined as ever by the deliciously dangerous Mr. Paul Dursley. I'm glad to hear that you're sweltering in your humane cell. (laughs) Yes, it's a luxury cell, but uh, it certainly has the temperature of a hellhole right now. But nevertheless, we will crack on. But I say crack on. I've forgotten everything we've talked about, Ryan. What? I know. How it's could crazy. you do that? Well, I had a blow to the head, and a strange man in a black suit came and flashed a red device at me, ah. and so it's all gone. Well, maybe I can help with that. If you could, maybe just take a minute about it and remind mm-hmm. us what happened. I can do that. When do you want me to do it? Now. For episode 55 of HHE, we sipped a mocha and headed to the Middle East, where we had a date with the dramatic country of Yemen during the 8th century. We discovered that the 700s were a transitional period for Yemenites, with Islamic caliphates taking control of the region. I blew Peter's mind with news that blue wasn't a colour, that twinkly eyes weren't always a beautiful thing. We discovered a lizard that gets blue when it's horny and took a dive with a psychopath. We took a spin on the potter's wheel to uncover some long-lost pottery, and we rounded up our fact-packed show with some marvellous music from Yemen Blue. That was last week's episode done. Summarised nicely, nice one, son. Now we're over to a young Dursley who's gonna tell you what he thought of me. He'll take you apart without any care. He's the lovely Paul Dursley. The lovely Paul Dursley. Ah, yes, it's all coming back to me now. What a marvellous episode it was. I had a thoroughly excellent time, but my opinion is as dust on the wind. The key factor here is what Mr Dursley thought about it. Uh, Any first thoughts, Paul? Um, I had some background about Yemen only from my father, who, as a conscripted serviceman, was sent out to Aden. And the one story that I do remember about that, as he was saying, he received a food parcel from his mum, my grandma, one day, Mm -hmm. and it had dates in it. (laughs) (laughs) That is a big round trip for those dates, isn't it? You know, know, one of those eats me packs of dates. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of the food stuff that comes with instructions like in case there were doubt eat me it just says it on the <laughs> box doesn't it <laughs> he's lucky that she didn't just send him some cat with chew me on it i was <laughs> i was curious about this because i thought uh as delicious as the coffee was i was more interested in the cat but it is in fact a category c drug and therefore not legal in this country oh well that's a shame because that was the alternative i guess wasn't it bringing you some cat rather than a mocha yes but here at history happened everywhere we do not encourage law breaking Unless it's a bad law. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you said something that interested me, Ryan, which was you said Yemenites. And I was in my head imagined it was Yemeni. Is Yemenite the official correct term to use? Yeah, well, during my research, it was a bit of a combination. Um, Like they seem to be referred as people of Yemen, uh, Yemenites. I prefer Yemeni. Yemeni has an excitable sound to it. It's something I would say to a camel to get it moving. Yemeni, Yemeni, Yemeni. Oh, right. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 
Yemenite sounds mildly biblical. It does, doesn't it? And lo, the Yemenites came upon the road. Right? Yeah. Well, to be fair, though, I mean, it is mentioned in the Bible. It's a and biblical place. It's, it's a pretty biblical place. We were talking about uh, Noah's son, Chet. <laughs> Chet. I can't remember. Chet, Chet. Chad from the Bible. <laughs> Noah's the son, Chad. Chad. <laughs> and he did play lacrosse. <laughs> so, Ryan... I also mentioned that I was surprised by the size of the country, and I realised why that was when I looked it on a map. And it's not that the country is small, mm. it's that it's underneath Saudi Arabia, which is so big that I think I'd only ever seen it dwarfed by this massive country. And I quite hadn't quite realised quite how enormous Yemen even on its own is. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And, you know, I hadn't realised... I sort of knew the, the scale of, of uh, Saudi Arabia, but now that I know that Yemen is the same size as France, that makes Saudi Arabia even <laughs> bigger. <laughs> It's enormous, isn't it? That is huge. It's absolutely enormous, yes. But during my research, Yemen sort of fluctuated in size, as you might imagine, from the different people. There were a lot of dynasties coming in and a lot of colonizers taking over the place. And, you know, I guess maps were sort of a bit amorphous over the centuries. Yeah, and I guess as, as with all these countries, they kind of move, the borders shift, people come in and take bits and give bits back. Yes, but historically, sort of borders were ill-defined anyway. So I, I would think probably in those maps, either Sana or Aden would always be in the part that was Yemen or whatever it was called at the time. That was kind of my experience with the research, actually, is that under Yemen, it would only really bring up sort of relatively more recent stuff. Whereas if I was to put in southwest Yemen or southern Arabia, I was getting different stories that would crop up. What I actually ended up doing was going via the cities and the town names. Oh, yeah. Right. Because those tend not to change so much. But those ones, because they're so old they tend to go back way before the 700s um, <laughs> yes. it's a very peculiar time period I, I feel really lucky actually that it gave us that really instrumental time period where the, the islamic caliphates were coming in the umayyad the abbasids and it really did change everything from that point so you you subconsciously picked a country that matched the date incredibly well well yeah i guess and, so and and we all laughed at you <laughs> <laughs> we did, we did. But the Dursleiter knows what it's doing. There's, I think there's, I think it's developing sentience. Yemen is, has always been on my list. I like a country that people aren't very familiar with. One, because I think then there's, I'm going to find stories that I'm going to surprise you with <laughs> and that might be more interesting than, oh, well, I'm kind of familiar with this. I really didn't know anything about Yemen, um, certainly not to the extent that, that, I did, that I found during my research. And what an extraordinary country. Yeah, I really enjoyed it because prior to this, my only knowledge of Yemen came from uh, Matthew Perry in Friends, who at one point attempts to evade an ex-girlfriend who he doesn't like by claiming he has to go to Yemen, mm. which implies that it's a country that is considered kind of odd and exotic. And, yeah. and genuinely, that was the only thing I could think of when I thought, what's in Yemen? <laughs> well, top of the top of my list of places to visit is Socotra Island, which I, I mentioned very briefly in the sort of the background to the episode. It's an incredibly strategic place because where, where it sits, you know, which is halfway between Aden and Djibouti. Mm -hmm. So it effectively acts as the gatekeepers to the Red Sea. The Red Sea leads 
leads all the way to the Suez Canal, which leads through to the Mediterranean. I, I remember my dad saying there's just nothing on Socotra. It's there's absolutely nothing. Oh, that's you said it was kind of an alien landscape, Ryan, if I, I remember rightly. Yeah, so I, I, I encourage people to go and and take a look at Socotra Island on Google Images or, or you know one of those and, and take a look because it really does look like an alien landscape. They have these huge big trees, uh, dragon blood trees they're called, and you cut them and oh, they, they awesome. bleed red. <laughs> yeah, there's sort of these weird bulbous trunks to them. But and as I mentioned, entirely distinct, unique animals that are unique to the island itself. It's it's a bit like Madagascar in that sense. You know, there's mm. a lot of native animals that you can't find anywhere else on the planet. That's great. Now, one thing I think that was less subconscious, Ryan, mm. is I felt that you were pandering to the judge by adding quite a lot of science in this week. Now, <laughs> Paul, as a colorblind person, I can only imagine you were delighted to discover that blue doesn't exist and therefore you don't need to worry about it. Well, I, I know all about naming colors. I had heard that blue as a color name, mm-hmm. that the colors obviously existed, the wavelength existed, but there was no name for it. I suppose the other one is orange. You know, which came first, the fruit or the color name? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Uh, the fruit? Well, yeah, the answer is the fruit. Okay. Uh, because the color was named after the fruit. There wasn't a term for orange. I think the confidence of the first person who said, what color's that? Orange. <laughs> <laughs> he tried it on lots of things that's beforehand. Right. Exactly. What color's that? Sandal. <laughs> but, but yeah, but that, that's, that, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, it, it's just a 500-year-old paint chart. <laughs> yeah, you know, they sort of say elephant breath. So maybe in the future, elephant breath will mean something and, and everybody will have that image of a colour in their head. I have to ask, is that one you've made up? No, that is a famous, genuine colour. <laughs> my my bedroom is painted in savage sand. Savage wow. sand. I feel wow. like there's some of that in Yemen. Yeah, no doubt, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, talking of blue, though, um, I have some additional facts about blue, which I didn't quite crowbar in, but do you want to hear some? In ancient Rome, blue was worn by the public servants, which was what inspired today's police uniforms. That's why police uniforms were blue. Oh, really? Yeah, that goes all the way back to Rome. There you go. And also, bird-related fact, bluebirds can't see the colour blue. In fact, no bird except the owl can see the colour blue. Okay. Owls can see much more. Owls can see everything. We all know that. Well, yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because it's exactly the opposite of colour naming. They physically cannot see or perceive the colour blue. Whereas in this case, the name of the colour blue didn't exist. It was just a shade of green. So they see, what, other colours? But yes, just not they blue. Uh, well, uh, different different animals have different ranges of color, and it's all to do with well, it's that and the and the cones in their eye, mm-hmm. uh, which re- which react to the frequencies of light, and that's what you can see. So su- some animals have much better color vision than us. They've what's called tetrachromats, wow. where they actually have four different color receptors, whereas we only have three, and I only have two and a half. <laughs> oh, bless. <laughs> 
and, and you know, some animals can see further into the blue. So you know, famously, a lot lot of insects uh, can see in the ultraviolet. So you see images of plants and flowers in the ultraviolet. And, and they're sort of basically vajazzled. <laughs> and it, so basically it just says, you know, to to the insect, I'm here. They sort, of, sort of act as a set of landing lights. It's incredible, isn't it? And they see each other. I, th- I think I saw a picture the other day of a blackbird that, when seen by us, looks dark brown or black. But to another blackbird, it's all, it's that chrome colour. Color. So it's sort of a purples and greens and oh, nice. blues. And it really stands out. Makes you wonder what you're missing, doesn't it? The yeah. spectrum that you're missing out on. Could be something stood right there that's in a colour we can't see. Yeah, so, and, and of course, the colours that we actually see are the inverse of the actual colour. What? Uh, yeah so so what we're calling blue yeah it's actually really anti-blue so we're seeing the the light that bounces off it i suppose the light yeah yes effectively the light that bounces off it or the light that's not absorbed it actually absorbs all of the other colors so we sort of effectively see an object in anti-color and and you can actually test this there is a a thing like if you stare at quite a bright colored object like the sun no, don't do that. <laughs> uh, but if you stare at a field of vision with a bright coloured object in and you then suddenly shut your eyes, you will get an after image and that after image will be in the negative colour of the image that it was. Oh, and it, 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 could, it could last sort of up to a second. Mm, yeah, I've done that myself. I have fun sometimes. I'll sit there and stare at something and then close my eyes. I see it again. Oh, the evenings must just fly by in Ryan's house. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I think optical illusions are fascinating. You sort of go to a Wikipedia article about them Mm. and there are so many and you sort of keep on looking at them and you sort of thinking that can't be true. And then, of course, it is. It's amazing. So all you're really watching in your when you're seeing things, you're not seeing things, you're seeing a movie of things in a sense. Wait, and then if you throw in that everything is also upside down because our eyes convert images the other way around, right? Yeah, the images reflect these upside down in your eye and then your brain turns it back up the right way around. Well, well, yeah, the brain just, it's its the way that the brain sees it because they've done some tests that, that you, you can wear glasses that actually inverts everything that you see and people are weird for about three hours, then it becomes normal. Oh, I see. And when they take them off again, the normal way up, it's very odd for a couple of hours. The brain is very malleable. It can it can sort of react to these things. You know, synesthesia and colour names is sort of a type of synesthesia, isn't it? You're mapping two things together. Uh, how do you mean? Well, two senses together, isn't it? You've got the sense of colour mm. and really the sense of sound in the sense of a word. People who have very severe or strong synesthesia can sometimes see like numbers with colours. So they associate things that don't normally associate in the senses. But there is an experiment for... I'm going to put in inverted commas, normal people, that, that actually is a, for, is a sort of mild synesthesia. And if you show two images, one's all sort of jaggedy, scribbly, and one's round and curly. Ah, oh, was it Kiki and Booba? Exactly. Which one is called Kiki and which one is called Booba? Hmm. The vast majority of people assign Kiki, the name to the jaggedy, scratchy image, and Boo to the rounded image, because the theory goes that the synesthesia means there's this link between sound and shape. That's fascinating. But I thought having a lot of science was a cunning ploy by you there, Ryan. A lot of science blueness, wavelengths. Actually, that's I never I never thought of that. You might get a higher than average score for this one, and rightly so. That was very interesting, sciencey stuff. But don't forget, higher than average is still bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
Now, I would like to talk about bluefish, Ryan. Okay, so bluefish, otherwise known as the saltwater piranha, I discovered this week. And the psychopath. Great. Right? I actually Googled the bluefish, and it looks quite innocuous, I think. When I saw the picture of it, I thought, yeah, looks all right. Just looks like a fish, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, if one of them came swimming up to me, I wouldn't think twice about it, but apparently I really should. Yeah, no, they are called the surf washing machine as well. <laughs> yeah, when they attack their food, they just churn the water up, and apparently it's like the surf washing machine. <laughs> wow. This is, why has nobody made bluefish the movie? That's what I want to know. Well, let me tell you about some stories because I did some research on bluefish uh, victims because I was fascinated to know who else had been attacked <laughs> and whether anyone had actually been killed by a bluefish. Uh, right, a four-foot bluefish, which is quite that's big. That's quite large. Yeah, it bit the foot of a woman swimming that's in the nothing, sea. That's nothing like a piranha. Piranhas are tiny. They are tiny, that's true. They're massive I've piranhas, that's worse. <laughs> I, I, I've eaten a piranha or two. Really? And how was it? Tastes like fish. I don't know what I was expecting. They do have enormous jaws for a tiny little fish. Anyway, t tell us about your four-foot piranha. So a four-foot bluefish bit the foot of a woman swimming in the sea in Spain in 2021. So just last year, as time of recording. In 2019, uh, another woman suffered a severed tendon in her foot. Oh. Do they always go for women? Yeah, apparently so. Um, uh, they they also go for young children, apparently, because... Uh, easy prey. Well, yeah, I guess so. A seven-year-old was bitten and taken to hospital. Half an hour later, a ten-year-old was bitten, which they think was by the same fish. So women and children first when it comes to bluefish is not <laughs> a good thing. <laughs> yeah. But in April 1976, a ravenous bluefish school was pursuing mullet off Florida's east coast, and uh, they went into a bit of a feeding frenzy right in between some swimmers and a dozen people got attacked oh my lord including christine schult who was 18 at the time and she suffered severe cuts to her hand she said i really felt i was in jaws i was riding the waves when suddenly i was surrounded by fish i was going to run for it but i fell right then a big fish at least two feet long grabbed me and i grabbed him with my other hand and i whacked him it was his eyes he was looking at me so meanly wow the thing about a bluefish. <laughs> <laughs> what a psychopath. Good Lord. And yet you never hear about them. But they must be all over the world then if they're in Florida and Spain and uh, Yemen. They are. They're incredibly common. Yeah. Wow. I've never heard of them. Apparently fishermen that, you know, are fishing by the sea. They're forever saying that these things will cut through the fishing line. James Cameron, if you're out there, I enjoyed the film Piranha. I mm -hmm. think we're ready for a sequel, Bluefish. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Bluefish. Da, da, da. So let me give you some names. See if you recognize them. Sinbad. Oh, yes. Alibaba. Absolutely. Aladdin. Yes. Yeah. All three are one of many stories um, from the Arabian Nights, the mm -hmm. Thousand and One Nights stories. I've only just connected Al Adin, like the Arabic. Oh, yeah. Aladdin. Aladdin yeah. I'd never thought of that before. No. Just, Aladdin, right? You think of one word. Aladdin. 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 Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, right. So, Arabian Nights. Uh, I, I really wanted to include this, but I couldn't. So, it's thought that the Thousand and One Nights uh, originated sort of from India and Persia and was shared by traders on those long voyages 
hostages we spoke about between Yemen and China. You've got to pass the time, I suppose. Yeah. And it, those those stories that were being sort of spoken orally, they were then written down. And it was during the 8th century that they were pulled into a prototype collection. So if they didn't please the captain, were they thrown overboard? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, there were no stories about anything related to blue. Oh, I bet you were desperately such blue cover, blue story. I'm like blue a enemy. thousand stories. There's got to be one. Yeah, I really was. I was like, doesn't sesame mean blue? Oh, I don't know. Does it? No, it doesn't. I just oh, made right. that you up. Oh, that's, that was cruel. You cruel man. Oh, my heart just sank. <laughs> it's so easy. <laughs> Okay, so we had a listener write into us and said, I went to see Commoner's Choir last night, who I love. Uh, they performed a song called Airstrike 123. It's about a kid's game played in Yemen called Airstrike 123. It's like Granny's Footsteps, where you have a person at the front and they turn their back on a group of people and they count down and then they turn around and they go, ah, or whatever. Ah, I know that game is What's the Time, Mr. Wolf? There you go. It's statues, isn't it? Or similar. There you go. <laughs> Right. Different names. In Yemen, the kids call it airstrike one, two, three. So what happens is the person at the front turns around and the rest of them have to throw themselves on the floor and play dead like they've been in an airstrike. Oh, that's tragic. He said here, I wondered if it was any use for the verdict for a bit more Yemen background. I love a bit more Yemen background. Do we, have we got a copy of this record? I have record. A... How old am I? <laughs> <laughs> I'll just wind up the gramophone. Here you go, Grandad. Put the old 78 on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here we go. Here's a little clip from it. So there we go. That was Commoner's Choir with the song Airstrike 123. Uh, they're from Leeds in the UK. They sing about the world immediately around us, about inequality, hope and Tory politicians. <laughs> anyway, you can find out more about them at commonerschoir.com. And can we get another shout out to our listener? Who was that? Absolutely. That was from GK. GK, thank you so much. That was awesome. So, Ryan. Yes. It is time, my friend, that you must face your fate and step into the dock and prepare to face the people's judge. I'm ready. Let's do it. Bring okay. him on. Step up, sir. Judge Dursley, are you ready to give your verdict? Yes, I am. Will the defendant please rise? I have risen. I know. You're proud, stiff-backed, chin-high. Your Honour, as usual, we start off uh, asking for your verdict on number one, factual content. What did you think of the facts as presented, including, and may I remind you, the top quality science? I, I sort of was surprised at how much had come from that area. Coffee. Yeah. Frankincense. 
<laughs> Skyscrapers. Yep. Yeah, I have to say it was a real discovery for me. I was I was delighted with the amount of stuff I learned anyway. So no, it was you you have shed light on the ascent of the Empire, which is a bit better than it was. B minus which is good for you. It is good. Excellent. Good strong start there, Ryan. Thank you. Uh, now, Your Honour, if I may ask your opinion on the entertainment value provided. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, I'm afraid the songs and the sketches weren't very good this week. Oh, that's a shame. His little face, if you could see it, he's <laughs> crestfallen is the only word I could use here. I, 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 I have to admit that I did do the plus 10 seconds during the song. Oh. A couple of times. Oh, that's a shame. This is outrageous. But it's not outrageous, it's true. Well, <laughs> he's not happy. He's consulting with his lawyers right now. I am. He's thinking of launching an appeal. <laughs> Okay, okay, for that, I'll, 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 I'll add a point. So I'll, I'll give you a C. A C, a solid C, a solid respectable score. And finally, of course, the ever unpredictable Dursley Factor. What Dursliness can you bring to this? How did you strike your funny bone? Did it tickle your fancy? It didn't tickle my fancy, in the, uh, apart from it did tickle my fact fancy and my scientific fancy. And I don't know whether that's a euphemism or not. <laughs> Does his scientific my... fancy? <laughs> um, oh, okay, I'll put the pussy among the passiforms and give you B. Ooh. I'm, I mean, delighted. He's delighted. I was He's not happy. expecting a B for Dursley Factor, I'll be honest. This is exciting. This is solid stuff. But this is all amuse-bouche to the main event, which is the final verdict. Ryan, before the judge passes his verdict, this is your chance to enter your plea if you choose to do so. Please make your plea now. Um, Your Honour. Um, Shut I would... up! Okay. That judicial process seems to be getting worse and worse on a weekly basis. <laughs> okay, okay, Ryan. Speak to reduce your grade immediately. I wish to remain silent <laughs> wise choice so then your honor the defendant stands before you proud chin high have you reached a final verdict yes i have i think he can keep his head moderately high if i might ask respectfully for your final verdict okay well you might be surprised at this um but i am going to give you overall a b minus Oh, and the crowd goes wild. That's great. That smile on his face is enough to reward anyone. A B minus is very nearly an A. It's basically an A. Mm, it's it's four grades away from an A. <laughs> uh, I'm grateful to uh, his honour uh, for giving me such a wonderful grade. I'm very pleased with that. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I think that is a well-deserved grade. Well done, Ryan. Okay, an excellent verdict, an excellent grade for an excellent episode, Ryan. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Judge. But now we must look forwards into the future. Uh, the next episode, as the Durs later rolled us, is, of course, Columbia, the years 1930 to 1940, and the topic of <laughs> Riddle, which is going to be interesting, and I'm very excited to bring you something fantastic. But Ryan and I are going on holiday. Hooray! Hurrah! But as a consequence, we will be preparing a special out-of-office episode, which we have prepared earlier, and this is on the topic of fatherhood in Algeria in the time period 
the Paleozoic. Yeah. So uh, what? Do Who's the, doing that one? The Paleozoic. <laughs> I have done the research. We've done the podcast. That will be presented as an out-of-office episode next week. So you will not be without podcast. Fear not. So that is our show for this week. Thank you very much for listening. As ever, if you'd like to get in touch with us about any of the things we've talked about on the show or say hi, reach out or share some music as our friend GK did. Mm. You can reach out to us on social media through our website at hhepodcast.com or email us at Pete and Ryan at hhepodcast.com. Yeah, we really love to hear from you. And you never know, you might end up featured on a future show. And one way to definitely feature, like our friend GK, is to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Your recommendation can really help us bring the show to new listeners, which we would love. We certainly would. If you're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, you can find us at HHE Podcast. And if you subscribe to those, you're going to get an alert every time we post one of our little one-minute animated HHE Bites. I think you'll enjoy those. Well worth a minute of your time. And of course, we'll be back with the Out of Office episode next week. But in the meantime, a huge thank you to the judge himself. Thank you, Paul. My pleasure. Ryan, thank you for your excellent episode. Thank you, Peter. And that's it. I guess all that's left to say is... You've been listening to... So what colour are your eyes, Paul? Um, I believe technically they're called hazel. Hmm. He can be trusted. <laughs> He's not a zerk. <laughs> He's a, not a zerk at all. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, uh, my mother has hazel eyes and my father has blue eyes. So... Oh... You've got Zerk potential. You've got Zerk lurk. <laughs> Lurking in your I DNA. Could, I, I could be Zerk. Zerk <laughs> lurk. <laughs> so geneticists use that term all the time. <laughs> Does your skin turn blue when you get horny? That would be awful, wouldn't it? If you go to school and you go blue. I would, <laughs> I would say it's been so long since that happened. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> and... And I'm colourblind, so I'd have probably thought it was purple. <laughs> it just looks like you're just running out of air. <laughs> Bad luck for the colourblind lizard, isn't it? I'm searching for a mate. Who's up for it? Can't tell. 